0: Community is, is probably the most important thing uh, Absolutely, for living a life of, of excellence, for mm-hmm. sure. Having that community that's got your back in bad times, good times, whatever, I mean, that's critical.
1: Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. On this special segment of our episodes, we go into the liberated life interviews. These interviews go beyond the philosophy of Zen Stoic and go into... People who are exemplary at showing us how to live a more liberated life from all facets or all contexts of life. In this episode, I have Dr. Dan Stickler, who is a dear friend and mentor of mine. Dr. Dan Stickler is the co founder and chief medical officer at Apiron. He is the pioneer behind systems based precision performance medicine, a new paradigm that redefines medicine from the old symptoms based disease model to one of limitless peak performance and system science in all aspects of life. Some of his positions. Include the clinical faculty of Age Management and Medical Group, and American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, the medical director for the Neurohacker Collective and Kuya Medical, scientific advisory board for True Diagnostics, Google consultant for wearable technology, epigenetics, and AI in healthcare, and guest lecturer at the Stanford University on epigenetics in clinical practice. Dr. Dan's systems approach has really helped me to change my life in a variety of ways, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have been able to get to know him, and to have gone through some of the protocols that he has suggested to his clients. Now, Dr. Dan, like I was saying in his bio there, he doesn't just take the approach of medicine of are you feeling well from a physical standpoint, but goes into a systems-based approach. Because like anything else in life, we are not just physical here. There are many different aspects of our life that contribute to the overall quality of life, and it's not just our physical well-being. This could go into our relationships. It can go into our financial health and the health of our business or whether or not we're doing something that is truly fulfilling to us. And one thing that I really love that we talk about on this particular episode is the importance of going into states of wonder and awe and having ecstatic experiences. Being in a state of awe is something that is really key to our development and to staying young at heart and to staying curious when it comes to the way that we approach life. So without further ado, let's get into the show. So we are here at the Aperon Center, and this is definitely something that you've created out of inspiration, I'm sure. What originally inspired you to go down this road of helping people with their health and really exceeding the bounds of people's expectations around health, (laughs) lifestyle, and
0: and vitality? Well, it was, it was originally what I had um, envisioned Mm -hmm. being a doctor would be. Mm. And when I got into medical school, I was a bit disenchanted by seeing it as it was very disease-oriented and um, and pharmacologically mm-hmm. oriented. It it just didn't make much sense to me, um, but I, I, I stuck with it because I figured, you know, maybe something would would come around that was like about helping people be better. Yes. Um, and I really didn't find it, you know, I was, when I did my rotations in internal medicine, family medicine, pediatrics, mm. um, it, you know, most, almost everything was this stepwise postponement of death. Mm. You know, <laughs> somebody has an incident, they step down one and you stabilize them there until yeah. the next drop. And so I, I ended up going into surgery because I loved working with my hands. And, um, and at least when somebody came in and they had a drop in their quality of life, I could just bring them back to baseline usually with surgery. Um, and then I discovered, um, a company called synogenics out of las vegas mm-hmm. back in 2004 2005 and they were doing what i'd always imagined medicine was they were taking healthy people or you know people without a chronic disease state and they were working with them to be healthier mm-hmm. and to prevent them from getting into that state so i was like oh okay this is what what i really want to do so i started as a hobby in my surgical clinic i had this area that I did, uh, did anti-aging medicine, they called it at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then Micra joined that and she kind of ran that practice because it was, like I said, it was a hobby for me. Mm-hmm. And then after about five years, um, I just one day decided I was done with surgery because I enjoyed the, the working with the uh, clients in the, in the age management group so mm-hmm. much. And so all my attention focused there and between Micra and myself, we just kind of brought everything together. I mean, we, we started off with, um, you know, working with the, with the body and the hormones. I mean, Mm. that was, that was the main thing and nutrition. I mean, nutrition was a, a key factor there. Then, then we added genetics and then we added epigenetics. Then we added stress, um, Mitigations, and then we added cognitive um, procedures in there to optimize cognitive function, and now we're actually venturing into consciousness Mm. expansions—things that will increase the awareness of consciousness, help you to navigate consciousness levels. Uh, So beautiful. We just keep adding (laughs) on to it and modifying as we
1: go. Well, it makes a lot of sense too because the wellness that somebody experiences in their In their life in their everyday life it's not just limited to the physical body right there are the emotions that we have the thoughts that we have the spiritual experiences or consciousness oriented experiences that we have that seem to all play in like the more and more i've done work with with my clients the more i start to realize that all of those things are connected and if you miss one of them or you try to be single-minded focus in creating a solution for somebody's wellness or to bring somebody out of Mm dis-ease then you end up missing the mark, right? You get two tunnel vision on a single solution. What I think is cool is that it, I I mean, I've always thought this around uh, Western medicine, but it seems to be very problem focused. Like you were saying, like Mm -hmm. very much like on disease prevention or getting somebody out of a problem, like an actual, like physiological problem into being at par, but not necessarily going off into like feeling good and enjoying one's life. What effect, uh, I mean, you were in that world before, what effect did that have on you and how you looked
0: at health like previously versus now? Well, it was interesting because in, in surgery, I thought at least it's, it's not something that's lifestyle preventable. Mm. Then I realized actually 95% of the surgery I was doing was lifestyle Preventable Mm -hmm. in some way or another, Um, and you know that that naivete of Mm -hmm. not realizing lifestyle impacted so much of what I was doing in surgery allowed me to keep going with it until it didn't, and I was just like, "Oh, okay." (laughs) So now I got to. I'm going to go down this road Mm -hmm. uh, because that's what I was passionate about. I mean, I took a huge hit in income, I can yeah. tell you, uh, but it was, uh, it was the best thing I ever did because I'm so passionate about what I do now. And, mm-hmm. you know, what? how do people rate themselves? How do they rate life? Mm. Um, and we use what's called a quality of life assessment. I remember taking one of these. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, health is one of like 20 questions, Mm -hmm. 20 areas that um, we evaluate each year, because we looked at it, and we were like, Okay, are our clients improving in quality of life each year, that was our metric. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about Oh, did they improve on this lab? Did they do this? Did they get better body composition? It doesn't matter what the numbers show. Mm -hmm. It's what they feel. Mm -hmm. And If their quality of life improves, we've done our job. And I mean, There's areas in that we talk about home, relatives, community, Mm -hmm. uh, love and relationship, um, Mm -hmm. um, self-worth, self-esteem, all of that is included in their financials. Yeah. Um, Because what we found is that there's really five main areas that um, people come to us regarding. Um, Health is is obviously the physical side of it, this vehicle that carries our consciousness around. Mm -hmm um and uh second is the mind mm-hmm. uh, most people fear because we do a lot of age uh, rejuvenation work right most people their fear is their cognitive function right lo- losing that cognitive right? function so we work with optimizing that and especially now after covid um people realize how fragile that cognitive function can be mm-hmm. and people with long covid are still having trouble functioning in normal mm-hmm. in their normal life again and um you we, call it covid brain right yeah it is yeah. and they found that even in mild cases of covid there was a 0.3 shrinkage of the brain wow even in mild covid mm. and that doesn't sound like a lot but 0.3 percent uh well depending on your age when you have it i mean it can accelerate dementia by 20 years wow yeah i mean volume loss is very tiny Mm-hmm. in the brain and the 0.3% is a big loss. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of people that we're working with to rejuvenate the cognitive function get them back to baseline because we, we measure the, we, we do the brainwave mapping each year so mm-hmm. we can see before COVID, after COVID, mm-hmm. how do we get you back to here at least?
1: And, yeah, uh, that, that is, it's fascinating that you look at all of those areas of life when you are assessing somebody's health or their well being, right? It's not like we were saying from the beginning, right? It's not just their physical well being. It could be the way that they operate financially or the way that they operate in romantic relationship and how these things might affect somebody. Mm-hmm. And so measuring all of those is not something I've ever seen any doctor do. Right. Just
0: because well, a lot of it is is just subjective yeah. uh, questions. Cause like when we talk about mind, mm-hmm. mindset is part of that. Yes, and we asked them about, do you have any deficiency mindsets?
1: Mm.
0: And they're like, well, what's a deficiency mindset? I said, mm-hmm. do you worry about finances? Mm. Do you worry about your relationship? Do you worry about your children? Um, what is it that occupies your brain? Mm. Um, Maslow did, um, he wrote some work in his later years after the hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. and uh, realized that deficiency states were were the problematic area in progressing and transcending. Wow. And yeah. yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he said, you know, you have the the poor beggar on the street mm-hmm. who's, whose goal is to get food to feed himself and his family. Well, is he gonna take the time to learn the violin or to go uh, learn a waltz or anything mm-hmm. like that? He's not gonna do that. His right. mind is occupied with I need food and that's his only focus. So he doesn't have the bandwidth to go into these other areas. Um, But what people don't realize is the same is true with things like finances and love and relationships. Mm -hmm. And if there's deficiencies there, if you feel deficient in some way, you're gonna be occupied by that. Yeah. And so the goal is to eliminate the deficiency states Hmm. or at least get people to start to understand that they don't need to be deficiency states. They're sufficient Mm -hmm. where they are. I mean, I see people that have net worths over 300, 400 million Mm dollars that are still worried about having enough money should something happen. Should something happen Should something with three
1: hundred or four hundred million dollars? Yeah, it's like you got to be kidding <laughs> what, me. What exactly is going to happen? There? Yeah,
0: I mean it, it's crazy to to see the financial deficiencies that mm-hmm. people have. Um,
1: well, what do you think? You know, creates that, especially in somebody who's at that level
0: of uh, of wealth. Mm-hmm. What what exactly would create that in somebody? It, I mean it's it's a deficiency state because you tend to be around the people that are in your general uh, realm mm-hmm. okay so here's these 300 400 million net worth people that are hanging around with 500 700 mm-hmm. million net worth people and they're like oh i don't have enough to do what they're doing mm. it, it seems like 700 million is the cutoff that i've seen in my clients yeah <laughs> uh, that's where they the deficiency state goes away they're not yeah worrying, they're like all right <laughs> But yeah, it's very common that uh, people have financial deficiencies. That's fascinating. And
1: one thing that I also thought was interesting that you were talking about is you were talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how the beggar on the street would be consumed by looking for food for himself and his family Mm -hmm. in that. So what I think is fascinating is it seems as though even though that is a less complex form of thinking because it's just pretty like single-minded in like, what am I going to eat? How am I going to survive? It almost seems that even though it's simpler, a simpler train of thought or thinking, it consumes more energy of the person than when they're at a higher complexity of thinking when they don't have to worry about that simple thing. You would think. Yeah, <laughs> that that's that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you, what do you feel like it is that makes those lower, less complex Uh, pursuit of needs, more consuming of
0: energy within ourselves? Uh, I think because those are survival needs, Mm. whereas the higher needs are more of cognitive needs, Mm -hmm. perceived aspects. Yes. Um, I mean, when you don't have shelter, you don't have food, you don't have water. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a survival need. Yes. And the the higher needs even just like to have love Mm -hmm. i mean i have billionaires that don't have love and they would give up everything they had for that one thing
1: Mm. Uh,
0: so all of these there's all these criteria that make us human Mm -hmm. and and drives the mind i mean you know the mind the ego is a very strong beast yes Not that it's a bad thing, but it's it's a necessity, but sometimes it gets a little out of control. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and it makes us think that it's a survival need mm. when it's really, it's just a comfort need mm-hmm. um, for for a lot of people. But, you know, the I mean, the biggest fear people have is fear of death. Mm-hmm. And I know people that come here for age rejuvenation that their whole reason for coming is because they're afraid of dying and i won't work with them right they're trying to trying to
1: outrun the inevitable (laughs) yeah
0: i mean that's just not what we do Mm -hmm. here and and that's not the mindset that will be successful in doing what we do Mm -hmm. Uh, so mindset is really really important yes so for for somebody who comes in who has a fear of dying what what is the reason that you wouldn't work with someone like that just because they're deficiency state so the, they yeah. they have a life deficiency state mm-hmm. um, because they are so afraid of death mm-hmm. and uh, trying to do everything they can to avoid it and me treating them is actually feeding that
1: yeah it's that indulging me. in that yeah. in that fear and that that fear what's i think what's interesting about it is that anytime somebody really fears death or they have like a an irrational level of fear around death mm-hmm. meaning like they're walking around every day trying to do everything that they can to avoid mm-hmm. it instead of living their life, what I find is interesting is they're typically afraid to live. Exactly. And so that in and of itself would create a lot of deficiencies in terms of how they show
0: up in the world. Well, there's an interesting question (sighs) we ask people. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll say, uh, describe your most recent experience of awe Mm. or your most recent peak experience. Yeah. And when they can't think of one, they're not living life, right? I mean, I've had people sit there and go, "I can't think of anything." I was like, "Did, did you have children?" "Oh, yeah." When my child was born, when was that? Uh, Twenty-one years ago. D- I mean, like <laughs> that was the last awe uh, experience.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So
0: that's that's a good litmus test to understand if people are are really living life. You know, the, being the Ubermensch, as uh, mm-hmm. Nietzsche referred to them. Yes, um, or are they the last man, the person seeking the greatest comfort and the least pain? Mm-hmm. That's okay, but that's that's not living life. Correct.
1: Now, I I, th- I find that fascinating because with my clients, the way that I'm I'm assessing typically is looking at the quality of their emotional health yeah. and how they're how they're showing up emotionally. Because it seems like the role that emotions play in our lives is they they signal to us when. We're doing something that is good for ourselves mm-hmm. subjectively or is not so good for ourselves. <laughs> and, and so looking at the way that those emotions interact with a person's life can determine the quality of their life, right? Like you were saying, the billionaire who doesn't have love and would give literally everything that they had in order to get love, mm-hmm. there seems to be like a very large emotional debt that comes with that deficiency state yes. that they're trying to fulfill over and over and over again. With no avail because it cannot be filled with external things. It needs to be filled by that feeling that they would have in relation to another person. Correct. So, how do these deficiency states affect a person physiologically? Like what what effects can they have on the body if somebody's carrying around these states? Well, any any
0: state that causes some stress in the body. Mm-hmm. And and if you're you feel a deficiency, you're stressed about something. Mm-hmm. So it's a stress response that the system has. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're gonna have increased inflammatory markers, increased cortisol. um, They're gonna have decreased sleep and sleep quality. I mean, it's just a, you wanna talk about aging. Mm. Deficiency states are one of the the biggest Mm -hmm. things that are gonna contribute to the rapidity of the aging. Yeah,
1: that's actually, that's very interesting. So the very people who are afraid to die we were coming are coming for the anti-aging Are accelerating with that thought alone. Yeah. I know yeah. that's
0: going to cause a lot of anxiety for people yeah.
1: like, <laughs> stop worrying, stop worrying. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> which is, which is interesting, right? Because at least, you know, we talked about this topic on, on your, your podcast, you know, last mm-hmm. time we, we were recording about the whole school of thought of NLP. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I recently went through and did a training on, uh, to be able to certify others. And one of the things that we talk about a lot in NLP is this idea that the unconscious doesn't process negations. So if you're saying, I don't wanna die, or I'm like afraid to die, <laughs> like, yeah. or if like, I, I just wanna prevent aging, then your mind, your unconscious mind is just hearing the signal of the subject of what you're saying, not necessarily the context of what you're saying. Yeah, And it perpetuates and perpetuates and we start to focus in on that area. Yeah. That's- I mean,
0: the words that we use drive Our thoughts and our emotions and Mm -hmm. all of that. We talked about this, the fact that words are one of the worst ways to communicate. Yeah, they are. (laughs) I mean, you know, nobody, it's rare that you're in a shared consensual reality with another person. Mm -hmm. But we assume we are all the time. Right. Because the... The words that we use we assume
1: that they mean the same thing to us that they mean to the other exactly. person but uh, one of the things that we we're talking about you know not not assuming that whoever's listening or watching this has heard ours because i'm sure they'll come out at different times but one of the things that we talked about is how different words for different people elicit different images in the in the mind right, right? different internal representations of reality and how if one person says one word and it brings up a really Pleasant, positive image in their mind. Their mind is going to, you know, go into the state that's reflected of that positive image. But if that same word make creates something negative in someone else's mind, mm-hmm. then it's going to put them in a negative state. One of the the words that I've recently changed with that is uh, maybe not the word, but the concept of when I think of discomfort mm-hmm. and. I made this distinction earlier this year because I was going into these like really like fight or flight states around like finances and business. Like even though like everything was perfectly fine, like I had a roof over my head, I had food, like like, I had my needs met, so to speak. But I was having a similar response to what you were describing earlier. And the distinction that I made is being uncomfortable is not the same thing as being unsafe. Right. And some people, when they feel uncomfortable, they think or their mind shows them imagery that says, "I'm not safe." Like, which when I think of unsafe, I think of physiological danger. <laughs> like, yeah. like something could, something bad could happen. I can get injured. I can get killed in something. And if somebody's responding to discomfort with the same level of response that they would respond to that, mm-hmm. I'm sure it could create a quite a degree of stress in the body. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, the uh, the interesting thing is, I have people take take their fear to Worst possible outcome. Mm. Tell me what would be the worst thing that would happen if you didn't have enough money to pay rent and, and mm-hmm. live in your home.
1: Are you, are yeah, asking, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, the worst thing that w-
0: that could happen because if if you financially just collapsed yeah,
1: tomorrow, I would have to ask you know people that I loved and cared about for help. And would they help you? Yeah.
0: Okay. So So, what are you worried about? Exactly. You know, (laughs) that's, that's what I say. You know, community is, is probably the most important thing. uh, Absolutely. For living a life of, of excellence for Mm -hmm. sure. Having that community that's got your back in bad times, good times, whatever. I mean, that's critical. A hundred percent. I, it
1: reminds me a lot of Alan Watson. He would say, you can't satiate your hunger by reading a menu. Yeah. Just like yeah. money doesn't make you rich, mm-hmm. but like, what, what does that do for you? What does it represent? Mm-hmm. Like we don't, don't confuse wealth for money. In other words, it goes back to what we were talking about the other days, you know, the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon, right? right? We, we assume that money and finances point to safety, security pleasure wealth and all the, all the above mm-hmm. you know depending on the person but at the end of the day those things are better fulfilled with other areas of our life community being one of them like I consider myself very wealthy just based on the community of people that I have in my life the friendships that I have the relationships like that is where there is a serious amount of abundance by comparison to anything else in my life and I and I attribute that to my own well-being, mm. like mentally, emotionally, even physically, you know, being, you know, feeling as though I'm taken care of and supported.
0: And yeah, that's- <laughs> I, I've been through a process in the last year where I just didn't understand the point of anything like work. Mm. I was like, why are we working? I mean, <laughs> what you, are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, what's the point? I mean, and you know, I was talking with Micah, and I'm like, you know, we have our love. Mm-hmm. and even if we lost everything mm-hmm. we'd be fine that's it wouldn't right be an issue um and so i was like why are we pushing to to like grow the business mm. and i said i don't want to put the effort in to do that mm-hmm. if it takes away from the time of community of our uh relationship of getting outdoors and and mm-hmm. doing things yeah living uh, life essentially <laughs> yeah um And, and granted, you know, having money, you, you can have a much more luxurious experience, but it doesn't change the experience. I mean, the experience is still the experience Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, yeah, I'm I'm just now starting to come out of, uh, this, this, I don't understand the need for work Mm and I've kind of balanced it (laughs) in the last couple of weeks. It's, it's kind of coming around like, oh, I enjoy creating, you know, this isn't work. But when things come up that are work, I can still feel that like, Mm. don't want to do that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. I I sometimes have my clients who, you know, they have larger teams, just take note and have some awareness around their day. Anytime they're doing something at work, that feels like work. And when they're doing something that feels like play, Mm -hmm. because typically what I've seen is, and this is not an absolute statement, but this is just a, a tendency that I've noticed is that. When people are engaged in the work stuff that actually feels like play to them, they're operating at their highest level of contribution and output. So in other words, they can give the most value in that state of being versus when they're doing something that feels like work. And typically one of the taskings that we have is that they start to delegate that stuff. And people are amazed at how this changes the, (laughs) the, not just the feeling of going to work and and their business, but it also improves the finances. It improves the organization, the overall like operational flow of everything. So it's fascinating how Mm -hmm. when we look at that, like what feels like play, what allows me to
0: kind of (laughs) have this enjoyment. We just hired people that were, that felt like spreadsheets and process were play right and i'm like cool okay yeah go on knock okay, yourself <laughs> here, here's my concept yeah put it into something that works exactly and they love that and yeah
1: it makes my life fun yeah it's, it's wonderful how that works too what i mean you know speaking about health and getting out of these deficiency mindsets what role does
0: play have in it in your viewpoint oh huge i uh, don't I mean if people don't have active play every single day mm-hmm. they're they're going to be deficient in play mm-hmm. I mean and and it it can be at work I mean like what we're doing right now yeah I mean we're here it's a, it's a work week and you know we're sitting here having a great conversation yeah just
1: hanging out <laughs> and talking play. exactly yeah. this is 100% play
0: <laughs> yeah so it's just finding what you're passionate about and, and it may be something that you know is a whole career change for you but mm-hmm. it's worth it
1: that's right okay. I, I i agree 100 i think i i always kind of come back. i've been asking myself this question lately when i'm thinking about doing tasks that i would rather hire out for <laughs> and i i start to ask myself because you you know sometimes there's a little voice of you know family and you know those i was raised with were like oh just do it yourself you'll save the money and then i i always I seem to counter that question. Well, like, well, what's the money for actually Yeah. like, what's, what's the purpose of this? Is it so that I can have more of it and feel the way that I'm feeling now consistently where I'm stressed out? Like doesn't sound like a very good use of that money, does yeah. it? <laughs> so, yeah. so if I wouldn't do it for that price that I'm willing to pay out, then I'm going to go ahead and send it right. out there.
0: Right.
1: And I've noticed that that has a, a big difference. Like when I feel like a joy to, to hire or outsource, you know, a part of my business out, it actually makes more room for that play. And thus, the output of my work becomes more effective. And weirdly enough, more money comes in.
0: (laughs) When we stepped back from (laughs) trying to grow the business, Mm -hmm. the business started growing naturally. Uh, Right. But we weren't putting the effort into it to Mm. make it happen. And it just happened. Yeah. But we also hired people on our team that were more aligned with the duties that required to grow a little bit more. It that's was, right. So I, I don't think it was, the business stepped away from it, but Micah and I stepped away from mm. driving growth. Beautiful, cause that's, cause that felt like work to you. Yeah. <laughs> right? And and, he, and, a, and a work that I didn't quite understand why.
1: Right, <laughs> right. I think what, what's interesting about that is, you know, we are talking about intentions and delusions And, you know, when we were discussing last week and what's fascinating is that the intentions are designed to point one back to their humanity, to their individual experience, to be totally present within it, Mm -hmm. to be perfectly and simply human. And then the delusions are pointing towards an abstraction. So like an abstract idea of like. Well, we have to grow the business mm-hmm. because that's the right thing to do. <laughs> and uh, metaphor. Yeah, exactly. Whoa. Yeah. Grow the yeah, exactly. Good metaphor. And I, that's another thing that we we had a, a lot of discussion about was, you know, the way that metaphors play And especially when we're doing things that are not actually adding to our experience, but actually subtracting f- from it. We use metaphors to justify, well, this is this is the right thing to do. Yeah. This is what I should be doing. And I think that's fascinating because I've, I basically designed as part of my coaching training and program, a Zen stoic rendition of the Buddhist eightfold path, right? Like an updated rendition. And one of the things that one of the parts of that is integral livelihood Mm. and the essence of it is like at a very high level is whatever you do for work to support yourself in this life. You want it to actively contribute to the to your liberation, not detract from it. Are you using that in the context of Ken Wilber's integral? uh, I'm not too familiar with, uh, with Ken Wilber, but I I would love if you could speak to, to Ken Wilber's stuff here for, uh,
0: I mean, he's just a, uh, transpersonal psychologist. Um, I think he's a psychologist. I'm not sure, (laughs) Uh, but, uh, he's very well known in the consciousness community Mm. and, um, he has these these scales for levels of consciousness, but mm. um, it's all based on integral theory mm-hmm. and and complexity, which is my favorite areas. Mm-hmm. So it uh, it kind of combines everything that I like. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't heard of Ken Wilber.
1: I mean, I've heard his name. I haven't uh, like gone into his work quite yet. The reason why I use the word integral is because the original translation of this, of the Eightfold Path, at least the English translation, the Western one, is right like right livelihood right view and right kind of implies wrong as well like a, a dichotomy there mm-hmm. and the original trans or like the original way that it's said in sanskrit is samyak which is more it, it describes like total or complete view or like like a not a tunnel vision but more of like a you know everything in unity and entirety type mm-hmm. of view so i use the word integral because it is essential necessary to the whole of one's liberation yeah. So, when I think about the livelihood, one of the things that's talked about there is ha- if if it detracts from your liberation, then you're not doing the right thing <laughs> for yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. And and that can happen in a variety of ways, right? If, if depending on what perspective we're talking about it from, if we're talking about it from a morality uh, perspective or like a uh, societal law perspective, mm-hmm. then livelihood that wouldn't be integral livelihood would be things like illegal activity or activity that takes advantage of other people because at least in the philosophy that I espouse, that creates emotional debt within the individual who's perpetuating that stuff. Mm -hmm. So if one's work is actively creating liberation for themselves by putting them in this state of play on a more consistent basis, Mm -hmm. then ultimately they move closer and closer to their own liberated life.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So For you, I mean, I usually ask this question towards the end, but since we're kind of going into it now, (laughs) it makes sense. What does it mean to you to live a liberated life? A
0: liberated life. Mm -hmm. Again, terms that we have different meanings for. Yeah. Um, Because what I would refer to it as is a life of excellence. Mm. So, you know, at the end of the day, when we're on our deathbed, you know, asking yourself the question, you know, did somebody know I existed? Mm. And if you can answer that in a positive way, mm-hmm. then I think you've lived a good life. Yeah. But for me, living life is about really, um, just sucking the essence out of it. Mm. It's, it's like, you want to know love, you want to know peak experiences, you want to experience all on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to have a community where people are just fun to be around. Um, I mean, life of excellence, and it doesn't necessarily mean like a, a, a really peaceful life. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I always use the example of Mother Teresa. I mean, would you say she lived a life of excellence? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course she did. Yeah. But, you know, look at her life. I mean, you know, she was taking, she left her family as a teenager, never to see them again, mm-hmm. to go into a uh, convent in Ireland where she trained. And then she ended up in India. Mm-hmm. And she was there for a couple of years, but wanted to work. She got a message from God that she mm-hmm. needed to leave the convent so she mm-hmm. just left one day
1: mm-hmm.
0: and she was a beggar on the street for like two weeks or something wow. and Then, and the women from the convent would, would come to her and say just come back you mm-hmm. know why are you doing this and she said no i have to mm-hmm. and then she worked with the poorest of the poor the lepers i mean you know she saw human misery on a daily basis mm-hmm. but she was happy yeah you know. Even though she felt their pain and, and their sorrows, she was happy and she was there helping them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, she wouldn't lead a life of, uh, like, these TikTok uh, influencers <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> that show all
1: this uh, fun stuff that they do. Yeah. Record I mean, themselves feeding somebody a sandwich. Yeah. Like,
0: look, look how good I am. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, some of the stuff. Yeah. Um, But living a life of excellence is one that you feel like, yes, I did something. Mm. And I experienced as much as I could could out of life. Mm. Uh, It's truly the Ubermensch of Nietzsche. It's like, you know, take the risks for the great rewards, but also be accepting of the great fails too and the the depths of sorrow Mm -hmm. will only be matched by the heights of ecstasy that's right um, which are peak experiences as well yes
1: because i i feel like at least when i used to hear the idea of a peak experience i would think i would immediately associate to positive right like positive or pleasant emotion Mm -hmm. but what i've noticed is that you can have peak experiences of unpleasant emotion, like sadness, and it can still be profoundly beautiful Yeah, to experience that. It's usually not
0: when you're in it. Not,
1: not um, when you're in it. It's like, as you're like coming out, you're like, Oh,
0: <laughs> I, get, I can remember the first, time, yeah. the first time I did it because I'd always, I'd always blunted painful or sad experiences. Mm-hmm. So I would distract myself from actually mm-hmm. experiencing them. And this one time I had this sadness and I just, decided to dive all the way into it mm-hmm. take it as far down as i could get it mm-hmm. and it was so so painful uh to experience that mm-hmm. and then when i kind of came out of it i was like oh my god <laughs> I was i was in awe of what that felt like yeah i was just like Okay. It didn't feel good, great, but yeah, not while well I was in it. Amazing. But, yeah. But I'm pretty blown away by yeah. how that felt. And it you know, letting all of that out that depth mm-hmm. is just so cathartic.
1: Oh, absolutely. I've uh, I mean, we, we had a whole conversation about this when we originally met, the importance of feeling your emotions right. and feeling your feelings. Yes. Because the allowing them to pile up within you usually doesn't result in very pleasant experiences. (laughs) One very specific thing that has happened, at least in my life and and, in a few of my clients that I've had the privilege to help with is it shows up as pain. Yeah, shows up as chronic pain in the body. And I I had chronic pain in my back for 20 years Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just got used to it as though it was some kind of a normal thing. When the reality is I was doing something similar to what you described where I was blunting my emotions it's amazing how yeah. that
0: catches in the physiology yeah um yeah i have uh, i had I, th- I think it was a herniated disc in my neck uh, mm-hmm. a couple months ago mm-hmm. and i was exploring every possible thing emotional thing and mm-hmm. any shadow work that i had that was causing this yeah. and everything I mean, it could have been just the herniated disc, but, or a bulging disc. But, uh, after about six weeks of daily pain between seven and 10,
1: um,
0: mm-hmm. uh, it just spontaneously resolved. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I, I actually had a physical ailment or if it was truly something psychological mm-hmm. that was, uh, was pressing on me.
1: Yeah. I've, well, I've always noticed that at least for myself, it, and I don't, I don't know how accurate this is, but it's just kind of the, what I've used for myself to kind of modulate that is if it lasts more than like month and a half, two months, then it's probably psychological or there's, there's something psychological there. Right. And I can, I can start to dive into, like, if there's no improvement whatsoever in that period of time, I'm like, okay. <laughs> like my body would know a little better than this to to at least make some kind of incremental improvement. So let me dive into it. Um, One thing that you had said that I think is is really interesting is this idea of being in awe or peak experience and how sometimes when you ask that of somebody, they haven't had one in a decade or two. Mm -hmm. If somebody's listening to this now and they're resonating with that part of not having had a peak experience, What, I mean, what's like the first thing that you would advise somebody to do if they're,
0: you know, kind of realizing Um, this as they listen? Pay attention to them. Mm. Um, That's, you know, it's just like when you're thinking about buying a certain car
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. Yeah. Um, You can do that with states of awe. Mm. Um, And, and really expand, I mean, I can get awe states from reading an article. Mm-hmm. I can experience um, <laughs> my favorite one was uh, my wife and I were walking around in the backyard and there was this, uh, you know, that stuff that looks like spit on a blade mm-hmm. of grass. And I was like, where does that spit come from?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and she's like, well, maybe it's a bird. And I'm like, no, birds don't have saliva. Mm-hmm. They're dry now. Yeah. um And we were just kind of confused by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that was a state of awe. We're like, yeah, just why? Yeah, just what? not understanding. <laughs> and then I looked it up on uh, on the computer, and, and there was this really cool uh, entomologist from Pittsburgh. He had a real strong Pittsburgh accent. I'm from Pittsburgh, so mm-hmm. I, uh, I appreciated it. Yeah, <laughs> but um, he was talking about this. Yeah, and what it turns out, they're they're called spit bugs, mm-hmm. and they're these insects that suck the water out of the blade of grass, and mm. while they're sucking the water out, they blow bubbles out their butt <laughs> to to cover them and conceal yes. them. And that was another state of all just, <laughs> yeah, just you're knowing like, that. All right. Like, oh my god, that's a, that's a great uh, piece of useless knowledge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Hmm? That's really interesting. It it it's, uh, it reminds me. Of our conversation, when we talked intentions and delusions, when we talked the difference between control and understanding, mm-hmm. and what's really fascinating is that being confused or not understanding something, being like unaware of how something works, can produce that state of awe. So, if somebody, theoretically speaking, if somebody's moving into their life or into all situations with an intention to control things, to keep things in the comfort zone of mm-hmm. their their box they will actually inhibit them the ability to have a state of awe Mm -hmm. to have that like what is this kind of experience right or just like you assume that it's it's one thing just to keep them calm internally about what they know and don't know yeah and that has been a big change for me that that's amazing well i'm sure we I, you know especially as a doctor right
0: like <laughs> comfortable with uncertainty yes that's the one thing people just do not our brains our minds do not like uncertainty mm. they want to, it wants to be certain about everything and it's just it, it will predict things and have us perceive something that as isn't actually true mm-hmm. um, you know you've seen the the thing where they have the the two gray blocks that are on angles like Mm -hmm. this, they look like it, but you're facing them straight. Mm -hmm. One in the bottom is darker and one on the top is light Mm -hmm. because that's what our brain assumes is going to happen. But if you put your finger across and block the line, Mm -hmm. you see that they're both the same color, but you pull your finger away and they're obviously different colors. Yeah, And you're like, what, what's up with that? Yeah, Um, It was just like the, uh, the blue dress, um, what was it? Blue and black dress. Versus yeah. The golden white dress. Yeah. Uh, people, I remember that. <laughs> I mean, that was a huge internet uh, mm-hmm. um, flurry over it. And it's, it has a lot to do with the brain predicting what it was seeing based on what it assumed the light was doing
1: mm. in there.
0: And Very so everybody was right, Yeah. but they weren't in consensus. That's really fascinating. Especially it's almost like the a-
1: Making assumptions is like a survival instinct. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know something, so That's we try the, to fill the that the gap. Brain wants certainty. Hmm. So, obviously, like you help people on a physiological level, on an emotional level, spiritual level, and you you talked about how you know you're bringing in consciousness to this whole mm-hmm. you know, modality of creating wellness and and vitality in a person. When we think about that, it's like, well, the brain, evolutionarily speaking, is saying that it wants certainty and it's uncomfortable with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So when we think about like, well, the human is designed that way and let's get comfortable with uncertainty, what is the the purpose of doing so? Like just for, from like a, an evolutionary standpoint, like transcending into
0: that that mindset? because when you get comfortable with uncertainty, you get a closer perception of reality, I think. Mm -hmm. And you also lose a lot of the deficiency states.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, I went to the extreme with it and basically had the mantra of I know nothing. Mm. I mean, I am confident in nothing. Mm -hmm. That's and, and that was the plain truth. I mean, I had come from a scientific method background where if you couldn't prove it, it didn't exist. Mm. Um, and you couldn't even use it to mm. say that it was doing something if you couldn't prove it. To me. Mm. Um, but then, you know, in in deep dives with, um, with um, quantum physics,
1: mm-hmm.
0: a little bit of uh, plant medicines uh, mm-hmm. to facilitate the process, um, I realized that we really don't know anything i mean things that we assume and we knew this in medicine i mean you, know, you look at journals from 10 years ago and mm-hmm. they're talking about the things that you're like oh my god what were they thinking back then? yeah that, that was like the rule i mean that's how it existed i yeah. remember when i started um as a surgery resident um we were doing the initial studies of sentinel node biopsy mm. so instead of removing <sighs> half the chest and the underarm area of all of its lymph nodes and tissue, um, called a radical mastectomy. We started doing this where we would take out the tumor and then check for the sentinel node, which is the first node that drains from that region of the breast, Mm -hmm. send it to pathology and have pathology tell us whether there was Mm -hmm. cancer in it or not. And, uh, and even if there were, we would just still take out the nodes in the armpit rather than you know, just removing all of the breast tissue. Um, and nobody had ever questioned like radical mastectomies before. Mm-hmm. And it was such a brutal procedure. Um, but then we realized, no, you don't have to do that. Uh, there's a much more conservative way to go about um, healing this. Interesting. Uh, so how those things they yeah, they, they mean, transcend over time. Everything you think you know tomorrow you probably will be yeah. questioning and and that's when you just say okay I don't know anything so I have to be comfortable with uncertainty. It's, that's right. This is the way it is. Yeah, I think it, there there's a great utility in being able to hold the
1: the truths that you espouse loosely mm-hmm. and to like you can allow them to guide you so you can function. On a regular basis but simultaneously being open to them being disproven or changed Mm -hmm. in some way and the comfort with that uncertainty kind of goes back to what we were talking about before where i was saying there's a very big difference between discomfort and unsafe or like not being comfortable and not being safe
0: discomfort is just really uncertainty unsafe is certainty yes (laughs)
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That's that, that's very true. So it's it's fascinating how how people would do that, mm-hmm. and make that little <laughs> switch in their minds. Mm-hmm. So I, I know it's definitely been very beneficial for me to make that little distinction, but has created a very big difference, right? Because mm-hmm. then I'm able to learn. I'm able to actually embrace the I don't know experience yeah. as as an opportunity or as an, as an experience of awe, just mm-hmm. being like totally like blown away by. Yeah. <laughs> how this thing came to be, so to speak. Right. So, uh, before, before we wrap up one, one question I did want to ask you is, you know, you, you talk about this idea of living a life of excellence mm-hmm. and I suppose what, what I'm curious about for, for the audience is like somebody's listening to this and they resonate with this idea of living a life of excellence. What can they do to, to start or like, how can they recognize where they're at? And then mm-hmm. How can they begin to sort of assess like where they are with that?
0: Yeah, I would look at uh, like I, like I said at the beginning. And I never really finished this, but mm. there are five five areas that we find mm. that will impact quality of life the most. Mm. Um, one is the health. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've got to you've got to have a healthy vehicle because mm-hmm. otherwise you can't do the things you want to do. Correct. Um, the mind, mm-hmm. you know, get rid of the deficiencies, get rid of that deficiency mindset. Um, and really give up the need to be certain
1: mm-hmm.
0: is a big one. Um, but then the the third area is peak experiences, you know, mm-hmm. go out and look for peak experiences, look for states of awe mm-hmm. in even the most minor things mm-hmm. in a day. And just make it a habit of saying I'm going to have at least one Awe experience or even like a, an experience of profound gratitude for something mm-hmm. and just sit with that for a moment each day have one thing that does mm-hmm. that. And you'll start realizing those start coming, coming on a, uh, more regular basis. Um, the other thing is, uh, really, well, we kind of group these together, but purpose and community, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to feel like you're a contributor to a community. Mm -hmm. that's important for people Mm -hmm. Uh, and if they don't feel like they're contributing to a community then um they they do have a diminished quality of life Mm -hmm. and then the last one is love yeah you know and it doesn't have to be for a partner it can be for a dog or something like Mm -hmm. that but just to experience love Mm -hmm. in your life I mean that's that's a key thing to living a life of excellence is to have the experience of love Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Dan, thank you so much for being on the show. All right. It's great to have you.